Truck Stop Murder True Crime Podcast. I am Gary Howard. Hopefully everybody's doing well. I am going to do something a little bit different today. Instead of a truck stop normally that I cover, I'm going to cover where I'm at right now because I really thought I'd been out of here by now, but my company likes to send me two places and tell me there's a window for delivery, which is not. So I'm sitting here waiting to get unloaded. So normally I would talk about a truck stop, but instead of today, I want to talk about graphic packaging, shipping, and receiving. There's a place in Terrell Springs, Illinois, where I had delivered to. Now I picked up in, I can't even think, in Michigan. I, I already forgot where I picked up the from. Kalamazoo, I believe. Not Kalamazoo. Fuck, I forgot. But anyhow... Well, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about this place in Carl Carl Springs. Now, my address that sent me to is Carl Springs, Carl Springs, but the address is in Addison, Illinois, 400 West North Avenue in Addison. Like I said, it's a packaging. They do paper. I'm delivering roll paper, but I have to wait for a bunch of trucks. Now, this place right here is ridiculous. I'll post a picture of it. There's one road in, out, one road out in and out this is really tight parking try to get in and everybody's showing up at the same time so it's can get hectic and every time i come here i've never been in and out of this place that i recall of so yeah there's not no nothing about eating nothing but there is a cemetery that i saw that i'm excited about checking out next time i have a little time to go check out i have graves ranging from 1800s to 1922 so pretty old historic graveyard i'm going to go check out for my TikTok channel, Sceneries and Cemeteries, if you like that. But let's talk about this shipper. Like I said, people are here very rude, for one thing. Some people might say they're nice, but lately I've just been rude. But maybe I was rude because I came in with somewhat of attitude because I've been dealing with my company all day to find out appointment time, and I'm going to be rambling on. I'm going to hear about Desra about this so i'm gonna stop right now let's talk about the reviews of this place what truckers think about it first person i'm not gonna give no names they have the names on here been here since 10:30 a.m it's now 9 10 p.m waited in the wrong this wait this is give you an idea what i was talking about waited in the wrong line for a wrong door because they told me to went in to check and the door what door to go to and they just told us Y'all were at the wrong door. When I told the man that the lady said before, he laughed and thought it was funny. This place is a joke. The loader said it would take roughly about an hour to load, and it's been two hours. Can't be, can't do your 10-hour break or park overnight. People were nice, though, and very spacious. Now, I have done a 10-hour break here before, but the thing about it is they're very limited places to park. Very tight, so... If you can find one, I don't think they're going to run you off. That's what they told me. Another one-star review, there's only two trucks for overnight parking. See, for drivers, there is also a toilet inside where you can wash your face. But there was an appointment at 10 p.m. And they were like, let me see, 10 p.m. They said that they did not have time and want to unload me tomorrow. The broker did not decide anything. I had to spend the night, but your tandem back immediately before you start parking for loading i don't know in the upper case like he's screaming put your tandems back immediately before you start parking for loading okay well one star review 
one of the worst places I've ever been to. They shouldn't be, they shouldn't be on business appointment time, 4 p.m. check-in, 3.45 p.m. They told me it would take, well, there's is five trucks in front of me, of you. That's the letter U. We inside at 10 p.m., but they told me that the guy who load going to leave in one hour, so you have to wait until 7 a.m. Ridiculous. This is unbelievable. So hopefully this don't happen to me. I mean, I could go on the one-star reviews over all, all day long. Let's go with the five-star review. Drive van, load pickup, three trucks ahead of me, two hours to get loaded. That's a five-star. Shipping per five, four-star. Shipping personnel are very fine. Bonnie and Martin, once you get to know them. So, yeah, you have to be their friends to get in and out. So, there you go. Let's see another star, five-star review. One hour and a half. Hours loaded. Okay, one more one-star review. Something wrong with that place. <laughs> and the place overall has a 2.4 rating with 14 reviews. So that is where I'm at right now, trying to get rid of this paper. Then tomorrow, I'll be going to pick up some candy to from DeKalb, bringing it to the yard, and then away I go somewhere else. So let's talk about a murder. Well, plural murders and attempted murder. A lot of people call her the Black Widow, but so many people are called the Black Widow. This is a case that has been on my mind for a long time. I'm going to hear from Desra, so she's known this case, but since it's so well done i was able to get a lot of information read different listen to different shows while i was waiting do a lot of research and was able to get some information about it plus wikipedia has a page so that's always informative a lot of information i'm going to get is from wikipedia also from the chapter you know by a guy named mike also dr grande some of the information that i've listened to their analysis and the storytelling but like i said the majority of it's going to be from wikipedia I don't like doing this, but I need to put some episodes out. By the way, 2023 True Crime Podcast Festival going on. I'm slotted to be there along with other podcasts. If you want to know dates, times, and who's going to be there, I'll put a link on my Truck Stop Murder Facebook page or on my social media pages, which would be awesome if you join me. So let's talk about Stacy, the daughter of Jerry Daniels and Judy Eaton. She met Michael Wallace when she was 17 in 1985 and they bonded immediately. The couple married and had their first daughter Ashley in 1988. In 1991 they had a second daughter Brie. And first thing comes to my mind is Brie Bella. But not that Brie. Caster was employed. I'm going to start calling her you know, Caster. No, should I call her Caster? Because I don't know. When you find out what she's done, who cares if I say her first or last name? But I'll go with her last name, which everybody else, I'll try to say their first name. Castor was employed by an ambulance dispatch company while Wallace worked nights at a mechanic, a mechanic shop. But the family had very little money according to Castor. Wallace was very close to Bree, showing a favoritism that Castor made up by becoming best friends with elder daughter, Ashley. So the wife one was best friends with the oldest and vice versa. That was Despite their closeness with their children, the couple grew apart, and it was rumored that each was having affairs with each other. So, in late 1999, Wallace began feeling immediately ill, internally ill. Family members variously remember him as acting unsteady, coughing, seem, seeming swollen as his 
inspectability sickness persisted over the holiday season. His family encouraged him to seek medical care, but he died in early 2000 before he could do so. A lot of places said that he actually went to the doctor to talk about earache or different things, but this came pretty sudden. I mean, he was feeling sick, but they thought it might have been an earache according to one, one, not file, my mind went blank. It's where I read in one place. But yeah, their daughter Ashley was 12 at the time and had been alone with him. She blamed herself and actually found him. And she blamed herself for the death. She had noticed his ill appearance that day, but thought nothing of it. Physician told physicians told Castor that her husband had died of a heart attack, although Wall's sister was skeptical and requested an autopsy of his body. Castor refused, saying she believed the doctors was correct. So they just buried him. They didn't cremate him or nothing like that, but just buried him. So in 2003, after a while, Stacy remarried to David Castor, who, that's where she got the name from, whose surname she used for the, that point on. Castor was the owner of an air conditioning installation and repair company. Stacy served as his office manager. In August 2005, at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, Castor called her local sheriff's office to tell him that her husband had locked himself in the bedroom for a day following an argument and was not responding to his cell phone. Now, this argument was because he wanted to spend some time alone with her, some kind of, you know, love, love time, but lovey time, I guess. But she didn't want to leave her kids alone for two weeks. Also, with the passing of her, his, her dad really got him depressed, so I think he just wanted to break. But yeah, when he did not appear at their shared workplace, she had become really worried about him because of all that. She claimed he was depressed, unable to get a response. Sergeant Robert Willingby of the Onondaga County Sheriff's Department kicked in the door of the bedroom and found David Castor lying dead. Among the items near his body was a container of what? Antifreeze and a half full glass of bright green liquid. Willingby says he remembers that Castor screamed, he's not dead, he's not dead. The coroner reported that David Castor had committed suicide, so a self-administered lethal dose of antifreeze, which is a horrible idea to think about because it's not just you just drink and pass out. I've heard it's really painful to do it, but even with a shotgun, he, uh, he seemed like he would have killed himself with a shotgun, but they said he killed himself with antifreeze. But when police found Stacy's fingerprints on the antifreeze glass and located a turkey baster that had David Castor's DNA at the tip of it, like in his mouth, or like saliva, they began to suspect Stacy Castor had engineered her husband's death. Keep in mind, none of his prints was on it. It was just hers. They believed Castor had used a turkey baster to force feed him once he became too physically weak. The detectives on the case ordered wiretapping of Castor's house. They listened on phone calls for unusual conversations. In addition, they set up cameras overlooking Castor's house and grave sites of her two husbands who had been buried side by side at Castor's request. Detective reasoned that if Castor were truly genuine about the love of her late husband that she would eventually visit the graves. They wanted to observe her her behavior while there. Castor, however, of course, never could find a time to visit them, never once. The investigators, so if you do kill somebody, keep in mind they're watching. 
The investigators soon felt the only way to only way to prove Kessler's responsibility for both homicides was to have Wallace's body exhumed. A toxicology screen ruled that Wallace had also been killed through antifreeze poisoning. So, what to do? I mean, her scheme is coming up, falling apart. They're really figuring out what happened to her two husbands. What does she do? So, in September 2007, this is when it just gets goes downhill for everybody. I mean, not that had her, but this is when she really shows her true colors. So, in September 2007, amid mountain evidence that Kessler had murdered both her husbands, she began to panic. After she learned police had exhumed Wallace's body and found traces of antifreeze in the system, she has believed to have devised a plan to set up her daughter, Ashley, for murder. Yes, I said that. Once best friends hung out all the time, her favorite child, she's going to set her up. This was the plan. I think I gave this way too early, but now you know what kind of monster we're dealing with. So on Ashley's first day of college, investigators came to her house to question her about her father's death and to inform her that he had been poisoned instead of having died of a heart attack. An upset Ashley called Castor soon after. Ashley said Castor invited her to come over to the family home in Liverpool and have a few drinky poo. Come on, have a few drinks. We'll talk about it over a few drinks, which I don't know about that. But yeah, Castor said that they had been through enough emotional stress and needed to relax. Ashley agreed because Castor was not only her mom, but like I said, her best friend. The following day, Castor, she, well, she drank it, but then also felt ill. But when she woke up that next morning, she went back to college. So the following day after that, Castor invited Ashley to drink together. To, again, she says that her mother offered her a nasty tasting drink that she at first refused, but eventually drank because she trusted her mom. 17 hours later, Ashley was found comatose on her bed by her younger sister, Bree Wallace. Bree demanded that help be sought, and Castor made a 911 call. Yeah, because if she didn't find her, of course, Ashley's sister left her. She probably would have been dead, but we'll get to how close it came to that. Ashley's sister left her side for a moment, and when she returned, she found a suicide note that wasn't there previously beside Ashley. The note appeared to be Ashley's murder confession in which she admits to having killed her father and stepfather. Castor quickly took the note from the the sister and later gave it to paramedics. Tests revealed that the potential fatal painkillers had been found in Ashley's system and that she most likely would have died if taking her to the hospital had been a few minutes later. I've heard, it says a few minutes later, but I've heard 15 minutes and she would have been dead. So luckily, Bree did find her in time. When Ashley woke up, when police questioned her about the murders and suicide notes, of course, she did dumbfound. She didn't know what was going on. No, beside her, she said that the last thing she remembered was that her mother making her an alcoholic drink, something she had never done before. She told officers that she did not write the note and was confused about the questions and accusations. So, what to do? For two years, investigators collected evidence against Castor for the death of her husband in 2007. And when, at first, I didn't believe this because I didn't think anybody could be this stupid. So, when she was actually questioned about it, they said, so which one do you put, which glass do you put the cranberry juice in? She says, well, I poured the antifree in then she caught what she said and she goes i put the kool-aid cranberry juice in this glass and then when they confront her what her statement was she said you're just trying to set me up 
this woman is not right. I listen to trial notes. If you want to hear some crazy shit, I'm going to put maybe if I, maybe I should record it. Let's see. I've been having trouble with my audio trying to transfer court documents, audio from here. So not me talking, but from YouTube and different things. She was arrested for the second degree murder in Davis death and for attempted murder of Ashley and frame her for the murders of David and Wallace. Prosecutors argue that the computer-generated note was Ashley's confession by killing Wallace and David had actually been written by Castor herself. Ashley was 12 at the time of her father's death. When brought on the stand, she testified that she did not murder either her father or her stepfather, nor did she write the suicide note. District Attorney of course, an assistant district argued that David Castro's suicide had never made sense given the lack of his fingerprints on the glass and the container. Plus, everybody said that there's no way he would have done this. That's not his nature. But, yeah, the glass containing with ethanol glycol, which I don't think they make antifreeze with that anymore. A toxic substance found in antifreeze and a turkey baser found in the kitchen garbage garage bearing both ethanol glycol glycol and his DNA. They felt this suggested that he was force-fed antifreeze. Given evidence that the evolution of David Castor's illness, they included that Castor had four days fed her husband for four days fed her husband antifreeze through a baster before making it look like a suicide. She said that her husband got the idea to kill himself with antifreeze while both were watching a news report about Lynn Turner who murdered two past lovers by using a poison which maybe I'll cover that next sometime soon and in the future we'll see the prosecutor probably called her the black widow too as well I'm assuming the prosecutors presented evidence showing how antifreeze poisoning could be identified from the growth of calcium oxalate crystals in the kidneys and that was seen in examination of Wallace and Davis's body as well. In addition, they noted money as one of the main reasons Castor murdered her husbands. She had murdered her husbands partly to collect on their life insurance and estates. Where the first one he got like fifty thousand she got fifty thousand dollars and I don't know what she got in the second one but the estates. But also changed Davis's will to exclude his son because he had a son when they got married and I forgot to mention that. And they did not get along. The marriage was so that was one of the reasons why they, it was she kind of placed the blame on her because she there were the two girls were still upset about their dad being you know was that had died. Well, they didn't know he was murdered at the time, but they died and they didn't want a substitute. And of course, he it was supposed to be things, so she kind of used that. You know, she didn't like them. So in 2005, people started to put it together. King, the, the county. Cayuga County Sheriff Dave Gall said if Mr. Wallace had been cremated or if Mr. Kester had not died, we would have never known we had a homicide. District Attorney said this about her. District Attorney William Fitzpatrick said if there is a ceiling in terms of evil, she, Kester, is at the ceiling, right at the top of it. Having searched Castor's computer, prosecutors have found several drafts of the suicide note. Ashley was accused of writing forensic evidence found that based on the timestamps, it had been written while Ashley was in school, proving that she couldn't have done been, she couldn't have been the author 
because of that. They argued that the suicide attempt had actually been a planned out murder attempt by casters against Ashley. On the stand, Ashley retold how her mother had convinced her to drink the two nights before she almost died. She repeated that she only drank the nasty tasting beverage because she trusted Kester. She maintained her innocence of the two murders and the writing of the notes. Of course, Kester's defense attorneys said whose name is attorneys Charles Keller and Todd Smith was set on creating reasonable doubt in the jury's minds about Kester having committed the murders. They wanted to poke holes in Ashley's version of what happened and prove that she could have been capable of murdering at 11 years old. Yep, she knew about the antifreeze. She knew how to get away with the perfect crime by 11-year-old. Okay, I have 11-year-old. If she's lying to me, I know exactly. She can't get away with nothing because she gives herself away all the time. Well, she's 10 right now. She's going to be 11 here in April. Dahlia, that's her name. They know that Ashley, father Wallace showing favoritism towards his younger daughter rather than Ashley, see, and cited jealousy as a possible motive for Ashley having murdered a such young age for her stepfather. They know that, that, that his and Ashley's tumultuous, I mean, why can't I say that? Tumultuous, bad relationship. And yes, it's been a long day, I'm sorry. And it had a relationship and how they did not get along with each other. Cass's mother believed that her granddaughter Ashley to be guilty. So, yes, let me say, read that again. Caster's mother believed her granddaughter also Ashley was guilty. So, not good. In a final attempt to convince the jury that she was not guilty, Caster took the stand. On cross-examination, Fitzpatrick pointed out that he felt was flaws in the version. He felt that there was flaws in the version of Caster's story that night. She maintained that it was Ashley who murdered Wallace and David, though she would not speculate about motives behind implying that her daughter might be mentally ill. Once Sam, they actually asked her, what do you think you know? Do you, do you think that nobody knew your daughter better than you? She said yes, and then vice versa, she knew you. So what is one reason? I'll give you, give me ten reasons why, but let's start with one. What is the first reason why you think that she might have done this? And her response was, I don't know. So the, he said, so you're telling me that you knew her better than anybody, and you can tell me why? And she was like, she was just a mess. So if you want to go on YouTube and check it out, she just babbles on craziness. But yeah, Fitzpatrick pointed out that Ashley's mother had never sought therapy for her, and that of a 21 Ashley exhibited no signs of mental illness at the time. So Fitzpatrick asserted that Castor's behavior during David Kester and Ashley's illness made no sense given the year she had worked for a paramedics company. So, yeah, she would have known that. She did not seek care for Ashley for 17 hours and indicated that David Kester, who was staged, it was staggering and vomiting and unable to stand, looked okay to her. Likewise, he questioned how a woman who had lost two husbands to poison would not seek help for a daughter in Ashley's state. Fitzpatrick frequently shouted at Caster, inspiring Caster's defense attorney to frequently object and even request a mistrial at one point. Prosecutors brought up another piece of damaging evidence against Caster when they cited having heard typing sounds while Caster was on the phone during one of the 
wiretaping recordings presented. Piping sounds can be heard while Caster talks to a friend, though Caster denied memory of using the computer that day. Must have had an old school one. Well, I guess you could probably hear some if they have a really good type wiring system. But yeah, prosecutors argue that the typing sounds were those of one several drafts that Caster had written of the suicide note. Caster had already testified to having witnessed her mother working on the computer or something she had hidden to prevent Ashley seeing it. So Fitzpatrick claimed that this was the day Caster wrote the note, which had Caster's fingerprints but not Ashley's. So every, everything has her fingerprints on it, Caster's. To frame her daughter and told, her, told the jury about the word antifreeze being written as antifreeze. In four places, that's what she was told when she, at the, when she was being questioned about, I poured an antifree. And by the letter that she wrote, the the suicide letter, you meant there it was just one whole thing with no no commas, no just two periods, and it was like a straight long sentence, nothing that a graduate student probably could have wrote. But yeah, Caster said that she had cut herself off while saying antifreeze because she was intended to say something else, but she busted herself. Caster's defense team presented a pharmaceutical expert in an attempt to cast doubt on the prosecution's claim that Caster had drugged Ashley 17 hours prior to being taken to the hospital. Professor Francis Gingo testified, G-E-N-G-O, Gingo, testified that after analyzing the traces of drugs and alcohol found in the blood drawn from Ashley at the hospital, Ashley would have had to ingest alcohol, Ritalin, and several other drugs just several hours before she was hospitalized. So on February 5th, 2009, Caster was found guilty of second-degree murder in the poisoning death of Dave and attempted second-degree murder of overdosing her daughter Ashley with drugs and vodka. With a jam-packed courtroom, most forced on Caster, you know, focused on Caster, she, however, had her eyes closed at the verdict were read. When her lead defense counselor, Keller, announced that Caster would appeal the verdict, including challenging the inclusion of evidence regarding the death of her first husband for the Caster had been charged. So on March 5, 2009, at Caster's sentencing, Chief Assistant Director Attorney Christian Garvey asked Faya to impose the maximum, the judge to impose a maximum consecutive sentence because of the brutality of Davis' death. Further, she criticized how Caster had parted, partied in her backyard with friends like nothing has, like nothing had happened as Ashley was comatose in her bedroom. She's so cold, calculating without any emotions for what she has done. She stated, hum- she stated, human life is a sacred. Stacy Caster's placed no value on human life, not even her own flesh and blood. To Stacy Caster, human beings are disposable. Davis' son, who Caster had cheated out of his inheritance, pleaded that, pleaded that Judge Farah for Caster be severely punished. He said, Your Honor, she is a monster and a threat to society. He said, She was, she has created so much pain and death with this, creating multiples of pain and death. 
in the families. Let me read that again. She has created so much pain and death with this, creating multiples of pain and death in the families of those she has hurt. Judge Farrow told Caster that he had never seen a parent attempted to murder their child in order to set their child up for a criminal crime they themselves committed and declared Caster in a class of all by herself. He sentenced her to the maximum of 25 years to life for the murder of David Castor and to another 25 years for the attempted to kill Ashley. For forging David's will, he ordered Castor to serve additional one and one-third to four years in prison. The trial had lasted for four weeks, and emotional Ashley told the judge she hated her mother for ruining so many people's lives but still loved for the bond that she's originally had with her. Let's see. Let's 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 actually speak for herself. Good morning biggest, to both of you again. Thank you. thank you. The biggest question I ask is why? Why did she do these things? I know that's probably never going to be answered. There are so many things that she has ruined. She'll never be able to see Bree graduate. My father will never take me down the aisle. She'll never get to see her grandchildren. All those things she took away from me. She killed two people and tried to kill me and blame it on me and blame me for the other deaths. That bothers me so much. I had to pretend for a year that everything was okay, that nothing was bothering me, even though I was worried about the trial and worried whether the jury would believe me. I hate my mother for ruining so many people's lives. I don't even know why she did it. What gave her the right to play God with people? And I hate her for having me be the one that found my dad, just like her for having Bree found me. I never knew what hate was until now. Even though I do hate her, I still love her at the same time. That bothers me. It's so confusing. How can you hate someone and love them at the same time? I just wish that she would say sorry for everything she did, including all the lies. And though, and I, and though I feel bad for her today as she sits there by, all by herself, she's the one that did this to herself and nothing bothers her. After my mom is sentenced today, I'll go back to my loving home with people who care about me. She's not going to go home. And if she hadn't chose to do these things, she could be home with me and Bree. She would not have to worry about anything. I've cried enough tears about this, and I don't want to cry anymore. I just want it all to go away, but I know it will never go away. I have to live with this for the rest of my life. There are many, there are times when I get afraid, thinking my, I might turn out like her because she was good at one time. But I know I won't, and I, and I know I could never hurt my children like she did. I hate how she tried to make me look stupid in that note that she wrote. I've tried so hard to make something of myself. I have a 3.9 GPA, and still she tried to make me look stupid. But Mr. Fitzpatrick made her look stupid with her lies. I hate how she made people choose side in our family and with, other, with our friends. Bree and I are children. People are supposed to stand up for us. But she's an adult, and that is the decision she made. I think about this at night, and I can't even imagine what's going through her head. All the things that she can't do, 
I had all these fears of, about if the jury hadn't believed me. What if she got out and tried to hurt me again? Or what if she tried to hurt my sister? I didn't kill anyone and I didn't try to kill myself. I would never leave my sister or Matt. I just don't understand how you can say you love someone and in the next breath try to kill them. I wish she had told me what was going on. She was my best friend and she took that all away just because she got scared. Well, I was scared too when I was in the hospital all by myself and I wanted my mom. But she was the one that did this. I just want to sleep one night without thinking about this. I'm not an angry person, and I hate being mad at her. I want to forget her, but forgive her, but I'm not sure if I can. I just hope God can forgive her. She has to listen to me this time. I didn't get a chance to say goodbye, and this will be the last time I get a chance. As horrible as it makes me feel, this is goodbye, Mom. As hard as you tried... I survived, and I will survive because now I'm surrounded by people that love me. I'm going to good, do good things in this world, despite making me, in every sense of the word, an orphan. Thank you, Judge Fahey, for letting me express my feelings. Okay, I wanted to let you listen to that because I wanted to give you an idea of what type of woman we were dealing with that she would do this to her own daughter first for her two husbands for payment and then because she got scared of going to jail what she would do to her own daughter like I said her best friend but mainly her daughter her oldest daughter firstborn or any of their children but yeah Fritz Brax Fitzpatrick said that New York sentencing guidelines Cash would have to serve just over 51 years before she became became eligible for parole at her age effectively a life sentence so caster new york to throw a little bit aftermath on it caster new york department of corrections inmate number 09g0209 was placed in bedford hills correctional facility for women in bedford hill new york bedford hills new york even with credit for time served her earliest possible release date on june 15 2055 sally over a month shy of her 88th birthday so yeah that's just when she's possible release date. On April 24, 2009, ABC aired a two-hour 2020 special about Kester and the trial, which included interviews. During the trial, Kester had been dubbed the Black Widow by media outlets, a title preserved given to Lynn T Turner. Here she is again. Ashley said that she does not know how her mother, any mother, could kill their her own child. Question that the public also pondered over. Caster, who professed of being shocked at the guilty verdict, maintained her innocence during the on-air 2020 special. As well, the un unaired part of the program, she said that Ashley brought this on and insists that she and Ashley knew what happened. By the way, during her daughter's, you know, you know, plead to the, not plead, statement to the judge, she just sat there and stared blankly down to the ground with no emotions, no nothing, no care in the world. But yeah, she actually knew what really happened. She did not express sympathy for her daughter, Bree. She called Bree an innocent victim whom she lost along, she lost along with her freedom and her husband. So it's all about me. By the way, that I forgot to mention, that suicide letter 
instead of saying how I feel sorry about what, you know, what I've been through, what I did, it was mainly that my mom's innocent. You know, I feel bad about my mom. She indicated that her mother, stepfather, and some other relatives still supported her, though. Bree, like Ashley, never spoke to Castor after the trial. Bree said that though losing her mom was hard, I was happy that they said she was guilty because we all knew she was guilty. Ashley said, I would not have done anything for her, but she tried to kill me. I would have done anything for her, but she tried to kill me instead. Both Castor's daughter expressed concern that their mother had not yet apologized to them. Castor maintained she is innocent of the deaths of her husband's and attempted murder of her daughter, Ashley. Also, ABC interviewed forensic psychiatrist Dr. James Knoll on the case, and he answered viewers' questions via video on April 23, 2009, and via site comments on April 27, 2009. He stated that while most suicide notes focus on themes of remorse, here's what I'm getting to, and the person not being able to go on with life, this note supportedly written by Ashley was focused on taking the blame off Castor, her mom. He said that this theme was repeated 14 times with a note and that he believes Castor would never admit the guilt of the murders. The code of murders such as this, he said, is deny, deny, and deny until the bitter end. When asked if Castor's behavior and bilanguage on the stand shows any sort of clue about her mental state or guilt, Noel reminded the bilanguage and behavior can be affected by events during a trial, such as a side effect of medication, anxiety, fatigue, and attorney's instructions to the defendant on how to behave, and their interpretation is not always reliable. Though Castor was not officially defined as a serial killer, it is likely that she would have killed again and again and again, like most black widows supposed to do. No said that the killers may have many different motives, motivations. He described Castor as a black widow type rather than typical serial killer. He described their black widow type as a woman who kills husbands or lovers for maternal gain or opposed to typical serial killer men who consistently you know, kill for sexual or sadistic motives. He relied on psychopathic traits and histories of childhood abuse have been consistently reported in those women and suggested that if Castor were guilty of the crimes of which she had been convicted and accused of when she would be demonstrating psychopathic traits, including regarding, regarding even her own child as an object to be used for her convenience, at her convenience. Also, Forensic Files had an episode titled Freeze Framed regarding Castor in addition to the Turner Castro antifreeze murder cases. Similar cases were reported in 2008 and 2002 in Man had been convicted of murdering his wife by antifreeze in 1998. I think that's a lot of reasons why they changed the active ingredients in antifreeze from the clock to something different. I don't think, I mean, I guess you could probably still find it. But yeah, let me know if it's still in there. I'm saying this shit and I don't even, I'm, I did not check fact check this before I said it. So if I'm wrong, let me know, please. And like always, if I do anything wrong or you have something, please let me know. Like some people... And the past told me what am I doing wrong and how I can fix it. Instead of saying, you're fucking ass, I can't speak. Well, how can I speak? <laughs> I know that's a bad scenario. But yeah, the letter, let's get back where I was at. As a murder, she is eventually the letter led to the, his prosecution about his wife. 
Wait, wait a second. A letter she, by his wife, wife by any priest in 1998. A letter she had written before her death incriminated him as a murderer. So she wrote this. If she were to die, eventually the letter led to the prosecution. Series sexualized murder. Series 2, episode 3, as well as describing the events leading to the trial, including an interview with the district attorney in the case. The DA pointed out Caster may have murdered her own father, too. Look at there. Jerry Daniels, who died February 22, 2002, shortly after his daughter visited him, visited him in the hospital where he had a mitre lung complaint. complaint. Caster's first husband's family believes Caster may have killed her father, having bought an open can of soda and for her father to drink in the hospital. She was the executor, executor of his estate. So, where is she at now? Well, you, I guess, she's not in jail no more, but don't worry, she's not free either. Castor was found dead in her cell the morning of June 11, 2016, which was not immediately apparent how she died, and the matter of her death was listed as undetermined. It was later determined by the DA's office that Castor died of a heart attack, kind of like some of her other husbands who also died of heart attacks. Maybe there are some crystals in her body, from antifreeze, but no, there's no evidence of suicide or foul play. So there you go. Also, another television show that you know talks about Stacy Caster's story was adapted into a Lifetime film, Poison Love. The Stacy Caster story, as part of it, it's ripped from the headlines. A part of it is it's called ripped from the headlines. Feature film series. This, this made-for-television film was first transmitted on February 1st. 2020. The film starred Nia Veradalos, who played Castor herself. Via Nia Vera Veradalos, V-A-R-D-A-L-O-S. So there you go. There's the story of a fucking crazy, ugly ass bitch who killed two husbands for money. Her husband Mike Wallace and David Castor, and then turn around and try to kill her oldest daughter, Ashley, for so she could blame her for doing that. So she couldn't take the blame for it. Just to be fair to go to jail. And she died, thankfully, but never confessed to it. So if you like to tell another story, please let me know. Join me, you know, rate and review anywhere you're listening to it. For some reason, I keep on hearing that iTunes is the place to be, like the people in Honduras do. They listen to me, and I'm still on the charts there. Thank you, wonderful people of Honduras. I like to add more countries. Now, in the past, I've had some more countries, but I really would love to be on the U.S. True Crime Podcast, but I have a far long ways to go for that. Also, a reminder, 2023 True Crime Podcast Festival. Information will be on my website, my Facebook group, Twitter, all that. I'll put that on as soon as I leave here. And also join my Facebook group, Truck Stop Murder and True Crime. Also Instagram at Truck Stop Murder and True Crime. Twitter at Truck Murder. And also you can email if you want. I got my email situation fixed out. I'm receiving emails at truckstopmurder at gmail.com. Or you, you want, if you want to help me out, maybe get some better equipment so I can start doing more of them segments from like court cases, court segments and stuff like that. You could join my Patreon group and with early access. You could go patreon forward slash truck stop murder i've been starting to put a lot of earlier i want to do patreon but i'm not for sure what so 
what do you want to hear from me? What would you like to hear? A thing about making videos and me walk around the different truck stops that stop and tell a story or what? I don't know. I think my first one's going to be about that little bar that hangs out behind the truck. Why is that there? What's the purpose of there? What happened to make that there? I'm not going to tell you. I think that's going to be my first Patreon episode. But yeah, you could support me on Patreon or you could just one time at PayPal at truckstopmurder at gmail or gary.howard5 at yahoo.com. So I hope you liked this. It wasn't no truck stop. It was I decided to record this while I was sitting here waiting. I was planning on being here for a long time. So I was like, let's put out an episode. All right. Also, on the murder case I'm doing, I think I'm about opening up a different, you know, starting a new podcast just for U.S. executions and changing up my way I do that instead of doing it from 76 on. I'm just going to do all death rows. Why not? Why limit myself and put it in order? So if you think that's a good idea, let me know. And I'll think I'll call it executions in the U.S. Or if you have a different idea, let me know. Okay, enough rambling on. I will see you on the next episode. And as always, you can't fix stupid, but you can sure numb it with a 2 by 4 I'm out of here. Uh-huh.